So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Elijah, I'm going to read this in the New International Version, and that's one of the versions you have available up there. But when I'm teaching, I'm going to teach from the ESV. The ESV is more um, literal, and but NIV will be easier for you to uh, to hear in English, okay? So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read the whole chapter. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, though it was will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious the ministry that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, glory how, much, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. There's just so much there. The Apostle Paul's writing, it's just dense. There's so much there. And that's why we preachers spend hours taking it apart and trying to explain it and express it to you, right? So we took a look at verses one through six previously, but I wanna read verse six because it leads into where we are this week, which is at verse seven. Um, in verse six, he says, he, that is God, has made us competent, right? He's made us capable. Um, he's made us able as ministers of a new covenant. So he's saying, we're not doing this on our own. Now he launches into this theme, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. When he says that, that last little phrase there in verse six, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Listen, this is the difference between religion and relationship. This is the difference between the old covenant, which was based in letter, and the new covenant, which is based on the spirit. Um, so we're talking about <clears throat> literalism and legalism versus 
Holy Spirit-inspired life, okay? People understand legalism, right? So if someone is convicted of their sin, for example, um, you can preach the law and tell them right and wrong, and they're burdened with it, and they understand that. We understand, I need to be better. I need to do what's right. I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to go to church more. I need to sin less, whatever your sin is, okay, whatever you're convicted of. Yeah, we get all that, right? And it's not to say that these things are not good, but that's religion. You understand that, right? Then you got people that are like, oh, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I don't know, you know, I read the Bible on my own. You know, or I don't believe everything that's in the Bible. You know, it's just an old book. I'm spiritual. I'm just spiritual. Well, that's going too far the opposite direction. They're misconstruing or misunderstanding um, a, uh, a spirituality with uh, just being interior, being into your own feelings, right? In your feels, being in your own thoughts. That's not spiritual, you know, spiritual is internal, it is interior, but it's you in the interior connecting with God, right? It's going beyond the externals that we see. Listen, we can all pretend, right? We can, the Ten Commandments are not hard to keep. I'm sorry, whatever people say, that's nonsense. They're not hard to keep, okay? They're just not. Um, you, people make it hard. But Jesus took the Ten Commandments beyond the externals, okay? So, for instance, let, let's, just, let's just take adultery, for, for example. Okay, commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. Literally, what does that mean? That means you're married and you don't go out and have sex with someone else's husband or wife, period. Okay. And some people seem to have a hard time with that, and I'm sorry, that's nonsense. That's just nonsense. You made a promise, keep it. I, I really, I just... I don't have any sympathy for people to go out and have sex with somebody else's husband or wife. That's nonsense, and you justify it. You should feel convicted about that because that's not hard. You just keep the promise or don't make it. It's that simple, right? But see, it doesn't cover all of these other things. Now, I'm talking about the externals. It doesn't cover all these other things that people do. Well, what about, you know, Looking at pornography, what about, you know, getting involved in some sort of a, I don't know, sexual relationship, but there's no intercourse that's there. Or, you know, we can make all of these, you know, these disclaimers and exceptions and, well, this is kind of what the Pharisees were trying to keep people from doing by making rules about the rules. And then they made rules about the rules about the rules, right? But it's all external. When Jesus is in your heart, you don't even want to betray your spouse emotionally. So there's an issue uh, right now with a preacher that maybe the people in my ministry or in this room don't know anything about. Maybe some of you uh, listening online know about. Uh, but there's a church here in the DFW area called the Village Church. It was started by a fellow named Matt Chandler. And he's younger than me by a dozen years, uh, but it's a huge church. And uh, 
I, I mean, I don't subscribe to other people's ministries. A lot of people get a lot out of his preaching. He seems like a really uh, good guy, biblical guy, um, very down to earth. And uh, he, his elders, so he's got an elder-driven church-oriented church. His elders confronted him about direct messages that he was making. If you understand social media, so most of you will understand Facebook perhaps better. So you have Facebook and then you have what? Facebook Messenger, right? So if you post something on Facebook, everybody sees it. If you send something to someone on Messenger, only they see it, right? So you can send a statement to them. You could send a video. You could send a text message, all this stuff, okay? Well, there's another um, social media um, platform called Instagram. It's owned by Facebook, which Facebook is called Meta now, whatever. Um, but Instagram is, is image-driven, right? It was started as a, an image-sharing platform. But now you can do videos, short videos, longer videos. Um, but you can send what are called direct messages to people. Now, I don't. I don't have time for all this. It's exhausting, frankly. The more methods I use to communicate with people, the more people want to communicate with me that way. And then I have to check 15 different things to see if anybody's trying to contact me. I just don't do it. You need to understand, I don't check Messenger. If I check Facebook on my computer and I see someone sent me a message, then I'll, you know, I'll look at it and read it. And I only do that once a day. I do it in the morning. I don't even have Facebook on my phone right now because it's tiring, <laughs> frankly. And it's not bad. It's, you know, I guess it can be, but, but Instagram is, is just all about pictures, right? But apparently you can direct message someone. And so Matt Chandler uh, was direct messaging a woman who is not his wife. Now, according to him, and even according to the elders that confronted him and others that are reporting this, um, he was not involved in an adulterous relationship with this woman, but uh, a friend of this woman confronted him and said that she thought that these messages were inappropriate. Now, <clears throat> what does that mean? I don't know because the messages haven't been shared with the rest of us. Were they, were they coarse? Were they suggestive? I don't know. But the point is, um, he wasn't committing adultery, but this has caused him to step down as the pastor of that church. Friends, goodness gracious. Now, I'm not even saying that he should have done that. I think that they all should have been a whole lot more discreet about this because they've blown it up and made it look like he's this monster, and I don't think he is. I think he committed an indiscretion there by being too, you know, open or forward or whatever. But, but again, I don't know because they're not publishing, publicizing the messages. What my purpose for bringing this up is, it's very visible, um, is to say that adultery starts long before the sex, right? Adultery starts with an emotional relationship. And ladies, you're far more sensitive to 
those emotional um, undercurrents than men. So men are just, we're just dumb. I'm sorry. We just, listen, why, you know, well, what are you thinking and what does that mean? Huh? It doesn't mean anything. It means what I said. No, no, you mean something else. You're looking for the subtext. Yeah, but, but you didn't say this. So now you're looking for the ghost text. Ladies, for most of us, it, we're just wussywig, okay? What you see is what you get. Well, what are you thinking right now? Uh, nothing. You can't be thinking nothing. Really wasn't thinking about anything, because your brains are going da 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 da, computing all this other stuff, and we're just linear. We're like boop, straight ahead. But that doesn't mean that there are not these other undercurrents and overcurrents, um, because men are very visceral. Men are very physical. Men are looking at physical externals and so forth. Well, that's very much old covenant. That's what we're talking about here. It might seem like I've gone far afield from this, but this is the difference between the internal and the external, between the spiritual and the religious, right? Between the relational and the religious. So this is why I think women have more of an innate capacity to be spiritual. If you'll stop trusting your feelings and surrender your feelings to faith in Christ, then you can be very spiritually sensitive, spiritually attuned. You're, you're just wired for this, ladies. You really, really are. Um, so this should be understandable to me, uh, to you, to us. Verse 7, he says, If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So he's contrasting the old covenant. What does he say? The ministry of death carved in letters on stone. That's the law. So the law doesn't bring you into relationship with God. The law represents the conditions that were presented to the Israelites that if they broke these, they would be out of relationship with God. So if you go and look in Leviticus, and providentially we had the kids in the room um, the week that I was addressing uh, what is spoken of in Leviticus, basically 19 through 22, uh, regarding holiness, specifically these are sexual issues, that the people of Israel were to avoid. It's very, very explicit. It talks about some really disgusting things, which again, the first time when I was younger, I read through the Bible, I was like, who would do that? Right? It says, and a woman will not approach an animal to mate with it. I'm like, what the what? Are you now? We have an exceedingly sick, sick society. I want you to understand something. Those people in the land of Canaan were doing those things. And that's why the Lord said, I'm going to be explicit point by point. Don't do this. 
Okay, so for me, I read that and I'm like, ah, no problem. Not tempting at all. But the further you get away from the Lord and the more you're drawn to an antichrist culture, the more deceptive that culture is, the more it can draw you into these. And so now, I mean, I'm looking at people that have been in my ministry in the past and some of the things that they're embracing and accepting. And I think, did you ever listen to me? Did you ever listen to me? Did you ever listen to the word of God? And what people do is they just dismiss this so that they can go and pursue whatever it is that they're being pulled into. Well, the law just says, don't, 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 don't. And if you do, again, going back to Leviticus, you die. If a woman and a man committed adultery, they were both to be taken outside the camp and stoned to death. You took them out and you threw rocks at them until they were a bloody pulp and then you buried them. That's the law. You want the law? That's the law. In the aforementioned disgusting instance where a woman would approach an animal to mate with it, bleh, you kill the woman and the animal. You don't let this have any part. This is a ministry of death. It's saying you don't do this or you die. That's what we don't understand at all. In an era of grace and moving beyond grace, the soul that sins, it will surely die. That's what Ezekiel said. That's what Jeremiah said. New Testament, Apostle Paul, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. When you sin, it always brings death. Always, always, always. You may be getting away with it now, but it always brings death. That's the law. Okay? But the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of grace brings life. This is how we receive forgiveness for what we have done and how we overcome those tendencies, orientations, temptations. You know, people are like, well, I was just born this way. We're all born with sin. You're born with one sort of inclination towards sin. I'm born with another inclination towards sin. Sin is sin is sin is sin. Justifying sin does not make it any less sin. But the ministry of the Spirit brings justification to you. He makes you right. He forgives you of your sin, cleanses you of unrighteousness, and makes you right with himself. Now you can live the way you were intended to live. That's the difference between these two covenants. Verse 9, for there was glory in the ministry of condemnation. When the law came down on Mount Sinai, it was glorious. You can read all about it um, in Exodus. I mean, thunder and lightning and, and the people were so scared that they, you know, said, you know, to Moses, Moses, you speak to us. Don't let God speak to us or we die. It was glorious. And in the next set of verses, he's going to talk about the fact that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face glowed. Right, represented so one of the one of the, uh, the Hebrew words for glory. The one that is often um, used by preachers is uh, this word shekinah, it means to shine. Right, Moses' face shone. 
It's, have you ever heard someone say, or have you ever seen someone who has a healthy glow about them? You know what I'm talking about? They're just, see, they may not be, you know, a Christian and, and living in the spirit or anything like that, but their, their physical life is right. They're healthy. And there's just a glow about them. Conversely, let me just change. Someone who is unhealthy, right? There's just something about them that's, you just look at them and you're like, mm, this is, you know, this is not going well for you, is it? Okay. Um, you know, it's often been said when, you know, when a couple is, is recently married, wow, you all just, you're glowing. Well, maybe you see something there, right? There's just a degree of glory that's there because God created that, man. God created marriage. Don't talk to me about same-sex marriage. That's not God. That's human. That is not God. That's not God's plan. But when a man marries a woman and they commit themselves to one another for life, when they're intimate, it produces life. It produces new life. That's amazing. That's God's plan. We see these people. So when someone is filled with the Spirit, there is a glow about them. Moses spoke to God, and he came down off the mountain, and his face glowed, and the people were awed by it. Now, I don't know if any of you, you know, I, I, I try not to judge people by physical qualities or characteristics, right? But, you know, people that are physically attractive by worldly standards, and people just stare at them, <laughs> you know? I just wonder what that would be like. And people just staring at you like, oh, you know? They, they, they. It's kind of disturbing in a certain way because they're not looking at you as a person. They're looking at you as an object. They want something from you. And perhaps that can be gratifying to a degree but i would imagine i'm just thinking like i just think of somebody like a celebrity how annoying it would be to never be able to go anywhere without people gawking at you taking your picture trying to come up and get a selfie with you trying to come up and talk to you all the time when they just want something out of you right so moses comes down off the mountain with you know the the commendation from god to share the law with these people and they're in awe and they're instead of being drawn to him they're kind of scared of him because this glow that's coming off of his face so he's like no no, no come and he shares with them and then he puts a veil over his face well he probably doesn't want them staring at him all the time right number one but as we're going to see in the next set of verses that glory on his face that glow Faded. When he wasn't connected next to the Lord, okay, the further he drew away from the Lord, the more that glory faded. I think the easiest way to understand this is uh, items that glow, right? Surely, when you were a kid, you had glow in the dark stuff, right? So, what happens is when it's exposed to light, it irradiates that material 
And then when you turn the lights off, it's cool. It glows, right? Or in the case of like these, uh, I've got some, some glow bracelets back here that I bought for our karate kids a ways back. And you kind of break them and you shake them. And there's a chemical reaction in there that causes the glow. But it wears off. And then there's nothing. Okay, glow in the dark. That's really the better example because you have to expose it to the light and that charges it. And then you turn the lights off and there's a glow that's left. But what happens? The longer the light is off, the more the glow dims. Okay. So um, right around the time of uh, World War II, they had a type of watch with glow in the dark numerals on it but you didn't have to just hold it in the light and then it would die out it glowed all the time now here's a watch it's got batteries in it but i have to charge this every night now it would go through the night and maybe to the next day but long about anywhere from nine in the morning to noon i'm gonna have to put this back on the charger again because the battery's gonna go dead. Same principle as the glow in the dark, right? But these watches are called radium dial watches. There's a very interesting documentary about the radium girls. These were uh, women who assembled these radium dial watches. Radium is radioactive material. They put radioactive material in the dial of the watch to make it glow. I had a physics professor in high school and he had a radium dial. I want one. I really do. I want one. He had a radium dial watch and he wore it. And the hair on his arm, because us dudes, you know, we just like hair all over our bodies, unless you're like Native American or something. And But the hair on his arm underneath that watch was gone because... It's radioactive. It kills stuff. If you fall asleep on that watch, it can make your face go numb, right? So it's constantly inside the watch and it's irradiating that glow-in-the-dark material. Hey, friends, we don't have the kind of relationship with God that is, I've got to make a journey to Jerusalem and go to, you know, the, uh, the, the church of the, of the nativity in Bethlehem, right? Or go to Gordon's Calvary where, you know, the presum presumptive site of Jesus crucifixion or any of these holy sites to get holy. And then I can go home and I have some holiness on him, but it's going to fade. It's like that radium. When you let the Holy Spirit come into your heart, he's constantly irradiating you all the time. And you glow. The law is external. Don't, 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 don't. The new covenant is internal. The Holy Spirit impregnates you with his life. The Holy Spirit writes the law on your heart. You know. You know if you have the Holy Spirit right and wrong. Nobody has to tell you, you know, you might not be able to, uh, you know, give it, uh, you know, a reasonable or logical explanation all the time, but you know, 
if you settle down for just a moment and stop listening to all these voices out here, yabbit, 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 you know right from wrong. You do know. You confuse yourself because you're listening to voices other than the Spirit of God. Now, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're just going to be perpetually confused. You live in confusion all the time. Well, I don't know about that. Of course you don't, because you don't have the Holy Spirit. And you're never going to know until you choose to open your heart and let Christ come inside. And once he does, then he writes the law on your heart. Your conscience then is lined up with God and you know right from wrong. You just know it. So what he's saying here is the old covenant was glorious because God was involved. It came from God. But that glory faded, right? It was a ministry of death because it's the law and the law says you either do this or you die. The ministry of the new covenant is the uh, ministry of life because it says that Christ is going to bring life into you. Here's what William Barclay says about this. He's talking about Paul and he says his first thought is that the glory of the old covenant, the old relationship between God and his people was essentially a fading one. It was destined to be superseded, not as the wrong is replaced by the right, but as the incomplete is is uh, replaced by the complete. The revelation that came by Moses was true and great, but it was only partial. The revelation that came in Jesus Christ is full and final. As St. Augustine so wisely put it long ago, quote, we do wrong to the Old Testament if we deny that it comes from the same just and good God as the new. On the other hand, we do wrong to the New Testament if we put the old on a level with it. And that's where people are mistaken in their understanding of the Word of God. They don't understand that there is a progression here between old and new. There is a fulfillment found in Christ. Barclay continues, the one is a step to glory. That's the Old Testament. The other is the summit of glory. That's the New Testament. That is Christ, right? So the law was intended to be temporary. And for those that want to be justified by the law, you need to understand something. It reveals the righteousness of God. But those of us in this room were never invited to be in covenant with God through the Ten Commandments or the Old Covenant. That was for Israel then. So those that try to go back and keep all the commandments and hope that they're going to make God happier, don't understand. So they came to Jesus, right? He said, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. Okay? So very quickly, it's obvious I'm not going to finish the chapter today, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read these next verses once again because I've been alluding to these things. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze on the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. 
But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So Moses put the veil over his face so they wouldn't see that the glow was fading. But the apostle Paul takes us a step further and he says, this veil separated Moses and thus Moses, who is the mouthpiece of God, it separated Moses, the messenger, from the people. And the apostle Paul says, that's you guys. To this day, you're not listening. So if you go to a courtroom, right, and you're in the, you know, the gallery, you're listening to the trial, go on. And the judge calls the lawyers up to his desk. All right, counsel, please approach, please approach. And so the defense and the prosecution approach. They have a sound muffling device that they turn on. The judge clicks it and it creates this barrier of uh, white noise. <laughs> so you can't hear what they're saying to the judge. I'm wondering, is that you? What are you hearing tonight? <laughs> or are you hearing the word? That white noise, that sound barrier, that's the veil, right? And so there are people that listen and listen and listen and listen, but they don't ever get it. You have to choose to pay attention, number one. You have to choose to have trust in the Lord, to have faith. You have to choose to exercise your, your brain to think about these things. And not just say, well, I don't know about that. I don't believe all those things that the preacher says. The preacher's preaching the word of God, and the word of God is going to judge you. You ought to pay attention to the word of God. Sure, the preacher can say this, that, or the other thing in illustration, but you need to pay attention to the word of God, okay? And so um, Paul is saying that like the veil that was over Moses' face that kept the people from seeing him, so... There is a veil between the perception of the Jewish people, and he's not talking about fulfilled Jews, believing Jews like himself, but the Jewish people of his day who were rejecting the gospel or anybody else. This is the same reason why Jesus told parables. I always notice when I tell a story, people pay attention. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. That's, that's my world right there. Yeah, I, I, you know, because I can connect with that story that you're telling right there. But that doesn't mean that they understand what the story means. Jesus told parables. And he said, I relate to them in parables. Otherwise, they might be convicted of their sin and turn and repent. Well, he was basically using hyperbole. Um, when people are not ready to hear the gospel, the more you push the more they push back, right? In karate, I teach kids. Mainly I teach kids, but we teach adults too. But I teach them what is called uh, makawara work, okay? So if you look at my knuckles, the top two knuckles on both hands are big. That's because I've broken a lot of boards, right? But you do when you do makawara work, you punch, 
You just keep doing that. Now, if you were to do this right now, it would probably hurt. But you keep doing that so that it deadens the nerves. You want to build up calcium. You want to deaden the nerves because I want that to become a weapon. That's not what you want to have happen to your heart. The more the Word of God hits your heart, the more it deadens you if you don't receive it. It's dangerous to keep coming to this church if you're not going to pay attention. It's dangerous to keep listening to that radio preacher or whoever it is if you're not going to pay attention. You're endangering your own soul. Right? That's the veil. The hardened heart. The unwillingness to receive. So, every time the Word of God is taught or preached, spoken, you have an opportunity to express faith or doubt. And I would urge you strongly to exercise faith. And then, the more you have received the more the Lord will give you. But the more you reject, the less the Lord will give you until you get to the point where the things you did receive, maybe when you were younger, they're gone as well. It's just spiritual leakage, erosion, right? Just goes away. And now you can't even remember. I had a lady one time, um, this is one of my, what am I? Well, I'd say it's a youth parent, but it was actually a grandmother that was raising her granddaughter. And uh, I was a youth minister, and I went to visit this lady. And she said, young man, I have forgotten more of the word of God than you know. <laughs> and I didn't, gripe, I didn't gripe back at her, but in my mind, I thought, what a shame. Because... When you have that kind of spiritual leakage, eventually you're not going to know anything. It's a sad thing. But the more you receive, the more the Lord will give you. And that's how you grow. Amen?